Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. Today we are in week two of our sermon series called The Finding Joy. And remember what we're doing in this series is we're delving into and wrestling with the eight pillars of joy to learn how it is that you and I can find and live into lives that are filled to overflowing with joy. Because let's be honest, who couldn't use a little bit more joy in your life? Anybody? Yeah, if you, if you can't, then you're lying, right? Okay, so last week... To begin our process of finding joy, we started with pillar number one, which is perspective. And what we discovered is that even though we do not have the ability to control all that happens to us, whether good or bad, we do have the power to choose how we respond. We do have the ability to choose our perspective in any and all situations, which means instead of focusing in on the negative, on all that has gone wrong, which is our default perspective, is what we're really good at. We learn that through the use of the opportunity, the long, the other, and the God perspectives, how to see and make sense of the world in a way that brings joy instead of more misery. So to continue to build on that profound foundation, today we begin by getting into pillar number two, which is humility. And everybody said, yes, let's talk about humility. Now, the best way I know how to help you understand what it means to live true humility is to walk you through the strange yet powerful story of the Tower of Babel. So, the context of this story in the book of Genesis is that God, after he went about creating humans so that they could live in relationship with him in the Garden of Eden, humans in their free will chose to rebel against God by eating of the forbidden fruit. And as you all know, the result of that is a broken relationship with God and human beings being expelled from the garden. And once humans are kicked out of the garden or out of God's presence, Genesis tells us that things go from bad to worse very, very quickly. And all because instead of listening to and being guided by God, which is what's best for everyone, they continue to choose their own ways, which is the story of Cain murdering Abel. And then from that horrible starting place, we get the development of corrupt civilizations that finally leads to God doing this, finally leads to God hitting the reset button. Genesis 6, 5 through 8 says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry I have made them. But the good news in all of this is that Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Or because things have gone to hell in a handbasket very, very quickly after the creation of the world, God then decides to hit the reset button, sending this great flood to to wipe everything out and to start all over using this one person whom he has found favor. And so it is after that great flood, it's after God hits the reset button, 
And as human beings are starting to repopulate the earth, that we find this story of Babel taking place. So Genesis 11, 1 through 2 begins, and it says, Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. As they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled here. Or here, what we find going on early after the great flood is human beings in there moving around, for whatever reason, decide to settle in the land of Shinar. And Shinar is probably the area of present-day Iraq, somewhere between the Tigris and Euphrates River. It's, it's the Fertile Crescent, if you will. That's, that's where they're settling. And of course, at this point, so soon after the flood, it makes sense that everyone spoke the same language. Right? But as Genesis goes on to explain, it's like as soon as these people get to the land of Shinar, they're up to no good again. It's like they're trying to cause trouble again. Genesis 11, 3 through 4 explains. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitmum for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, oftentimes the way this story gets interpreted is that the sin that is being committed here as human beings, in their lust to become like gods themselves, pulled all their resources, all their ingenuity together to create this great city. And in this great city, they create a great tower that would get them to the heavens. Which, of course, is not a good thing, right? Humans aren't made to be gods, and so this is why God responds in this way. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built, and the Lord said, look, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing is possible. Nothing, excuse me, do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Or according to this interpretation, because human beings working together could eventually build a tower that would get them to become like the gods. God came down to confuse their language. Or God, to keep things from spinning out of control once again, which is what happened in the flood story, steps in and disrupts this plan by causing them to speak in other languages, which causes them to spread over the face of the earth. Or how many of you were taught something like this in Sunday school growing up? Anybody? This is the basic idea that most people were taught when it comes to this story. But what I want to show you is what we oftentimes miss because we're not from the ancient world and how that changes this story a bit and how it connects us to us. So according to some scholars, the tower that these humans are building in the midst of the city is probably a reference to a ziggurat. So what you'll see up on the screen is this is a ziggurat of Ur. This is actually still up in the land of, I believe it's in Iraq, but ancient Babylon. And what you need to know about a ziggurat is that these were common structures found all over ancient Mesopotamia. They're similar to pyramids, yet with stairs that lead to a flat place on top. But contrary to popular belief, the purpose of these towers was not to help human beings get into heaven to become like the gods. No, ziggurats in the ancient world were usually a part of a temple complex with the ziggurat being placed next to the temple. So what you will find here are ruins of an ancient temple complex in the land of Babylon, the temple Ishtar. Ishtar was, a, um, I think, the goddess of love and war. And so a ziggurat would be next to the temple. 
So, the temple is the place where God lives. So the function of these ziggurats was to make a way for the gods to come down from the heavens, basically using the steps, kind of an escalator, stairway to heaven, to then get to the temple, ultimately making a way for people to live in relationship with God. So again, these towers were not about getting people into heaven. In fact, for the most part, people weren't allowed on the ziggurats. It was holy ground. They couldn't go there. No, what was happening is they made these ziggurats for the gods to come down into their house, which is the temple, and for people to come and interact with the God in the temple. Which is very interesting, don't you think? Now, what all of that means, when you put this story back into the overall story of Genesis, is that what these people were attempting to do through the creation of this tower was, again, it was not about getting into heavens themselves. But instead, it was about making a way for God to come down from heaven so they could live in relationship with God once again. Which, remember, is what they lost in the fall. That's getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It's basically about losing God's presence. So they're trying to get God's presence back, which, by the way, is a good thing. Right? Living in God's presence is a good thing. It's what God wants most in the world is to live in relationship with us. So that means the problem that is happening here it's not that these people built a tower for, for God to come down and live among them. No, the problem is why they want to live in the presence of God. Or why they want God to come and live among them. Which is made clear in Genesis 11.4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And here it is. And let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Or the sin that is being committed here, causing God to come down and confuse their language, is the only reason these people want God to come down. The only reason they want to live in God's presence is so that they can use God to make a name for themselves. Or they can use God for their own benefit. Which, of course, is not how it's supposed to work. Right? No, the way it's supposed to work is that as humans, we're supposed to be helping God get what he wants. So again, this, this story is not about people trying to get into heaven to become like God. No, this story is about using God to get what you want instead of God, instead of us devoting our lives to getting God what he wants. And now what I hope is happening in your brain is that begins to sink in, which is an amazing way to think about this story, is that this story is not just a story that happened, you know, 3,000 years ago in the land of Shinar. No, this story is also our story. Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty dang good at using God to get what I want. And I don't spend much time saying, hey, God, what can I do for you? Right? Am I the only one guilty of this? <laughs> Anybody else guilty of trying to use God to get what you want? Okay, so now that you've got all of that running in your brain, now let me show you why, what, what this has to teach us about living true humility and why that's a good thing and why that brings us joy. So for me, what the story of Babel really seems to put into perspective is what it looks like to live true humility. Because the true truth is, true humility is not about beating ourselves down or not acting like we've got some skills or like we haven't accomplished anything. 
You know, and I think that's the way most people look at it. No, true humility is about coming to terms with the fact that your life and everything else for that matter is not about you. It's not about making a name for yourself, but is and always has been about God making a name for himself. Again, your life, everything else is not about you, but it's about God getting what he wants. But before you start getting all depressed because I've just told you that the world doesn't revolve around you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let me show you why this is a good thing. Let me show you why this is a good thing that, that once you learn to embrace and live, it will help you find the joy that you've been chasing after. So to get what I'm talking about, what I want you to do is I want you to think about all that pressure that you constantly put yourself under as you chase after and devote your life to making a name for yourself. Or in other words, as you strive to get what you want, I want you to think about all that pressure. Truth is, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the stuff that keeps you up at night. Okay, so now that you have all of that in your mind, you're starting to feel that stress, that pressure, because let's be honest, we really do on occasion or that our lives are the most important things or that everything depends on us and without us, everything's going to fall apart. I want you to begin to say to yourself the simple truth the story of Babel has to reveal. This is not about me. This is not about me. I want you guys to say it with me. This is not about me. Now, if you're anything like me, what you experience as you begin to the pl- get to the place where this, you realize this really isn't about me, is that all of a sudden, all that weight that you've been carrying around with you for all these years, which keeps you from experiencing the joy that is right in front of you, it begins to fall away as you let go and let God. Or as you begin to let God be God and you take your place as one of God's people doing God's work. Well, that's why true humility is a necessary part of finding joy. Or how many of you, when you say the words, this is not about me, find relief in life? None of you guys find it? No? No? Anybody? For me, it's like, oh, I get, it's not, it's really not about me. All I have to do is I have to do what God created me to do. I let the rest go. And I enjoy the blessing and the beauty that is all around me. So, so may you now come to see as you strive to find more joy for your own life, that, that one of the foundational pieces you have to embrace is you got to realize that this life and everything else is not about you. It's not about you making a name for yourself. It's not about you getting what you want. But it's about God making a name for himself and God getting what he wants. So that means it's time to let go of all that anxiety and stress that we've been dragging around and give ourselves completely and totally to God, helping God get what he wants. Because again, it's not about us. I mean, think about it. This has been going on since the creation of the world. 
which is a long time ago. And we are here for a short time. And this will continue to go on well after us. This is not about us. And that is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Let us pray. Father, today as we continue to chase after joy, help us to understand that where we find joy is in true humility. Or realizing that this, this life is not about us. It's not about us making a name for ourselves. It's not about us getting what we want and about you getting what you want. So now, O oh Lord, in our self-centeredness, as we carry all that weight because we think it's about us, may we just every morning get up and say to ourselves over and over again, this is not about me. This is not about me. No, Lord, this is about you. So what can I do today to help you? And then may we find the joy that is found in letting you be you and us taking our place in your kingdom. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.